Romans chapter 15. We're going to start studying the minor prophets by starting in Romans 15. And uh, it's an interesting thing. We're going to move Wednesday evenings in our study. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, studied Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've studied Acts. We've studied Revelation. We've studied a bunch, uh, obviously, all of Paul's epistles we've been through. We're going back through them now a second time, really for the YouTube. And uh, really going to go back here now into the Old Testament and look at the minor prophets. And really, <laughs> I, I, you know, you, you think about, okay, well, why are you going to do that, you know? And uh, really, there are some things that when you think about Scripture that really don't get a lot of play, don't get a lot of coverage. Isaiah gets a lot of coverage. Daniel gets a lot of coverage. Genesis does. There's other books that get you know, a lot of focus from people. But when we begin to look at it, if it, 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 our guide in all of the looking at Israel's program is Romans 15, verse 4. Uh, when we study the word rightly divided, dispensational Bible study, uh, the, there, Paul assumes that you're a student of the whole Bible, not just Romans to Philemon. Uh, sometimes people will say, you guys who rightly divide, you don't study anything east or west of Paul, and that's just not the case. Uh, Roman, uh, Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And uh, Paul, you, you know, Paul doesn't, Paul assumes that we understand. Come back, hold on to 15, 4 there. Run back to Romans 1, 1. He, he, he assumes, expects, demands, figures, that you and I know our Old Testament. If you look at Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. He just introduced God and Jesus Christ. So how then do you and I know? Good evening, guys. We just got started, so you're fine. We're in Romans 1.1 and Romans 15.4, introducing the minor prophets. <laughs> um, how, he just tells us in Romans 1.1 about Jesus Christ, so he assumes we know who that is. Well, in order to know that, you have to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then he talks about the gospel of God, so he assumes that you know who God is. So, in order to know who God is, you got to go back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. So, there's an issue here that as we begin to study and look into the minor prophets, and again, tonight, uh, next time, and probably the next, we'll be just really just kind of introducing them, introducing what's going on here, and then we'll get in, we'll start with Hosea, and we'll go through uh, the twelve. Um, as we go down through it. So just because we understand the word rightly divided doesn't mean that we don't study the rest of the scriptures. Actually, because 
we understand right division, because we understand the dispensational viewpoint and the thought, we can then go and study the Bible and really enjoy it uh, far better than, try, than studying it not knowing. Because we don't study it as, okay, this is us now, and we're trying to fill up the storehouses, Malachi 3, and we're trying to raise, do the, you know, we just study it for what we're, what, what's happening here. When we start and look at this, uh, there's a, if you go back there to Romans 15, verse 4, where we started, uh, I tried to say this Sunday uh, in a little bit, and I think it's 15.4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's an issue when we do study. There's a lot that we can learn from Scripture about what God's doing, how he works. And there's a lot we can learn from these books, Hosea through Malachi, the 12. By the way, in the Hebrew Bible, they are called the 12. That's what they're called. Uh, Hebrew Bible only has uh, 24 books. They have the same books that you and I have in our Bible, the 39. They're just divided up differently, and they're named actually differently. Um, if I remember, next week I'll bring my Hebrew Bible. It's at home. I had left it at home. So when we come into these books, there's actually a lot that we can learn that can then give us some patience and comfort and assurance that God will do what God says he's going to do. And rather than, you know, you think about how God works his purpose. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then verse 2, and the earth, and the earth belongs to Israel. And we see Israel's history, and we see Israel, 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 until we come to Acts 9, and then we see Paul in this new revelation, the body of Christ, and then going to heaven, the heavenly places. So you begin to see this great purpose that God has in the earth and in the heavens to fulfill the ultimate goal. So when we study Israel's program, it's really not a waste of time. Uh, we were studying Revelation. This has been years ago. And there was a gentleman here, and he's like, this is just a waste of time. And I'm, no, it's not a waste of time because you and I can understand what's happening a, a lot better than most because we understand dispensational Bible study. So when you begin to think about it, the, uh, I, one of the ad, advanced features of, of our edification of that foundation, that, that capstone of information given to Paul. Once, you, once we are Romans 16, 25, established, grounded in grace, and the, and, and the orientated toward grace and what God's doing in grace, and then we move over to Ephesians and the fullness of the goal of the body of Christ, then you, once you get all of that in your mindset, the edification, then we begin to have the ability to look at the prophetic program and see what 
we are doing, the body, and what Israel's going to be doing, because really Hosea through Malachi is looking to the future, and we begin to see how it all gels together. And it really provides a we, the revelation given to Paul, the body of Christ, dispensation of the grace of God, really complements each other and really draws a perfect picture, if you will. So when you think about what's happening here, um, as we, again, just introducing Hosea through Malachi, the minor prophets, you, you, have, to re, you have to think about how things are in the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We use that verse, we talk about doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and we, and we see a pattern. And in the New Testament, we've seen that pattern over our studies. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ to Israel. The book of Acts, we see the renewed offer to Israel, the repentance and salvation offered again to Israel. They fall, and then salvation goes to the Gentiles through Paul's ministry. Then we come to Paul's epistles, Roman to Philemon, and here's the doctrine and instructions for the church, the body of Christ. And then we see Hebrews through Revelation, and we see the ages to come. So when you think about that, there's a flow, there's a symmetry to it. By the way, in each of those groupings, Matthew depicts the Lord as king. Mark, the servant. Luke, the man. John, God. Acts, you see, they stumble, but they don't fall. Then they fall, and then they diminish away. Romans to Philemon, what do you remember? Romans, the cross. Ephesians, the church, the, the cross information about what the cross is meaning. Here's the church and, and its activities. Thessalonians, he comes back. So you got the cross, the church, the coming, and then Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, there's the congregation. You have nine church epistles. Then when you come into the Hebrew epistles, you have the same pattern. Hebrews deals with the cross and what it means to Israel. Then you have 2 Peter dealing with the church and its activity. Then you have Revelation, its coming. And there you have nine church epistles. So that outline, that symmetry that begins to flow, well, when you come into the Old Testament, we have the same thing, if you will. We have a, we have a, a flow that begins to, begins to, 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 to get seen. So... I'm going to start way over here and go way over there and then back, okay? Because I, I just tonight, I just want you to see the flow so that when we get into Hosea through Malachi, you understand why what they're talking about is what they're talking about, okay? Now, again, I said this, I'll say it again probably till the day I die. No verse, no word in this book is a waste Okay, all of the words are there for a specific reason. Uh, look over at John, the end of John. The Lord, God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, when they wrote the book, John 21, 
verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. John 20, verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So obviously, not everything is written down. But the things that are written down are there for a very specific purpose, and that is their teaching doctrine. If you look at verse 31, John 20, verse 31, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So when you come to the Old Testament, whoops, when you come into the Old Testament, you are beginning, there, there's a flow here, and this flow, the Gentile Bible, you have 39 in the Old Testament. This is 3 times 13. 13 is the number of rebellion, the curse. Okay? Now, Galatians 2, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, verse 13. Sometimes you ought to spend some time going and reading the 13th verse. Everybody thinks it's a, you know, spooky number. There's no 13 on the, you know, there is a 13th floor because, you, you know, there is. They can't make a building suspend without a floor there, duh. But they don't put it on there because it's, a, you know, it's cursed. Well, it is in Scripture. Uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. What, what's happening here in the Old Testament? The law. If you go to Malachi chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4, the last of our minor, Malachi chapter 4. If you look at verse 6, the last word of the Gentile Old Testament Bible is curse. Okay? So you've got a curse. So you've got a thing. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, you, 24 books. That's 2 times 12, and 12 Israel, is one of Israel's numbers. So then when you go to its last book, the last book in a Hebrew Bible is 2 Chronicles 36, verse 22 and 23. And you know what they're doing? They're going back into the land. So the Hebrew Bible ends with them out of captivity, returning to the land. The Gentile, it's, it's a curse. It's a, it's a tough deal. And again, the difference between your Bible and their Bible is... We have first and second kings, first and second Samuel, first and second. They don't. They have kings, Samuel Chronicles. And actually, I think if I remember right, and I'll bring it next week, and we'll verify, Kings and Samuel and Chronic Kings and Samuel are one book called the Kings. You know, they they shrink them together. Um, they don't drag them out. The twelve, uh, the minor prophets, is just simply called the twelve, and they're all, but they're all in one. Book. So when you come into the Old Testament, okay, you 
begin in Genesis, obviously. And you go, the first section is Genesis to Esther. And this is a section of history. There's 17 books there. After Esther, we have Job, Job to Song of Solomon. These are heart books. There's five. Then after Song of Solomon, you have Isaiah to Malachi. There's going to be 17 there. And these are the prophetic books, and that's Israel's hope. Okay? So when you begin to, uh, you know, people say, oh, this is poetry, and it is, but they're not poetic. It's also wisdom, and it is. But it's the heart, because what's happening here in Job the Song of Solomon is you are seeing the heartbeat of the believing remnant in Israel. Now, we'll get there in just a second. So, Genesis to Esther, we have history. Here is the history of the nation of Israel, from the creation of man all the way through. Here is man to captivity. So at the end of the book of Esther, you are 400 years before the birth of Christ. And you, okay? I know it's way over, but you've got to think about where we're at. And this is, again, we're doing this because you've got to understand when we start Hosea and where, we're, where we are at on this timeline. Okay? So from Esther to Matthew, there's 400 years. Now, there's 400 years of silence, and we'll, we're going to talk about that in the coming where, where God says there's going to be a famine in the land, but it's going to be a famine of my word. That's why we have the writing prophets, Isaiah to Malachi, to write things down. Now, when you think about where we're at, if we've got 17, we've got 5 and 12. By the way, the heart, Job, the, let's just go through them. Job, the Song of Solomon. That's the heart of the believing remnant in Israel. Job, can I do this here maybe? Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Okay? Psalms is the Psalms of David, the bard of Israel. There he is. Okay? The majority of the Psalms are written by David or the Hezekiah's men. Proverbs written by David for Solomon. Ecclesiastes and Sol uh, written there by Solomon and so forth. So there is some historical significance that's taking place during the reign of David and Solomon where the books of Job are Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, that they begin to are written, and what they're doing is they're demonstrating the heart, the heart attitude. They're preparing the heart of the believing remnant in Israel to function out in the future, out over here, in the coming days. So when you're in the 
five books in the middle. I know everybody reads them, oh, great devotional, read one Proverbs a day. And you can do that, but you, if you do that, don't do it thinking it's you that it's talking about. It's talking about that believing. Think about Job. What happened to Job? He lost everything. Job's a picture of the little flock in the 70th week of Daniel, see? So if he loses everything, now, by the way, when he got all done at the end, what did he do? He got it all back, plus. So what, what's the little flock going to do? They're going to get it all back, plus, in the kingdom. So you've got pictures being drawn here. Then you've got, oh, let's see, Proverbs. We'll just leave it at that. Go back here. The first five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy, we call that the law. Then we have 12. The 12 get broken out in a 9 and 3 manner. Okay? This is Joshua through, I have to cheat, sorry. Second Chronicles. And then the three here, that's Ezra through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, what these books are is these books are pre-captivity and then post-captivity or exile. And this is important, and this is going to be important in a, in a little bit here tonight and next week as we look at Leviticus 26 and the five courses and so forth. Okay? This is pre-captivity, Babylonian captivity. This is after the 70th, 70 years of captivity where Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, lets Ezra and Nehemiah and those guys go back and rebuild and do. Okay? Obviously, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, we, we got that, okay? Now we come to the, the prophets. This is about the future of Israel. But these guys are going to match these. So we've got five and we've got 12. We got Isaiah to Daniel. And then we're going to go, if we got 12, what are we going to do? We're going to do 9 and 3. 9 starts with Hosea, and it goes all the way through Zephaniah. And then you've got Haggai. <laughs> I'm going to honk up a hooger, you know, Haggai, all the way to Malachi. And again, this is post and pre, okay? But we have these guys. These guys are called majors. These guys are called minors. Now, majors, not in size. Now, granted, Isaiah's 66 books are chapters, and Ezekiel's 40-something, and Jeremiah's 50-something. But rather, what these guys are going to do is they are going to lay down, Isaiah to Daniel, they're going to lay down the five major fundamental prophecies concerning Israel's future. And they are literally going to tell Israel everything they need to know and to have about her future and how God's going to 
restore them, reconcile them, redeem them, and take care of them. So when you come to the minors, minors and not in insignificance or really little, Obadiah's got one chapter. It's not, it's what, what now is going to happen is in the minors, they're going to take the, the pro, those five major prophecies of the, of the five, Isaiah to Daniel, and then they're going to come in and add additional information that's going to help understand specific things, specific items within the five major foundational things. The prophecy of Isaiah, okay, 66 chapters. By the way, 66, it matches, each chapter represents its corresponding book, even Paul's epistles. It doesn't tell us what Paul's epistles tell us, but rather the, the, the corresponding chapter in Isaiah carries the tone and the tenor of Romans to Philemon. But Micah, my, there's a chapter in Micah where he literally repeats whole chapter of Isaiah in Micah. And all he's doing is he's, he's coming in and he's, there's a, but Micah focuses in on a particular thing in Isaiah. So the five, they lay the foundation, then the miners come in and begin to work out some particulars. And what they do is they begin to work in, they begin to move from the basics to advancement. They come in and they take the babe, the milk, and they move to adult and the meat. So when you think about what's happening here, that's kind of what's taking place. Okay, and what God is doing is he's preparing the nation. He's equipping the nation with, some, with the information that they're going to need in order to get them through the time of Jacob's trouble. And come back with me to Leviticus 26, because I got a little space left over there, and we're going to... Scribble on the board some more, okay? So the, when we begin to get into this, the miners, but as we're introducing them here, there is more going on here than just a historical narrative. This is historical narrative. This is historical narrative. This, but it's also poetry and, and wisdom and heart. By the way, the number five is associated in, in the numerology with death and grace. And it's interesting. You have to have... It be, you, <laughs> grace reigns only when the death to yourself happens. If you're trying to do it in the energy of your own self, grace doesn't reign. Only way to deal with death is by the grace of God. So you've got this connection flowing here. So what he's doing and what we're going to see here as we, and I didn't break out my towel because I'm going to take this down, okay? As we begin to see here what's happening, I could race that, right? You guys were good? Good, good. If you aren't, oh well. You can get it later. So what's going to happen here is Leviticus 26, 
shines a big spotlight on the fact that there's more to his, more than history. And when we're reading the prophetic books, the history that's in Genesis to Esther, okay, the items that God, John 21, John 20, that God put in there is what is needed. Now, again, he left some things out, but he put some things in Scripture, and they're there designed to communicate what God wanted communicated. So the history is critical, but when we take the prophecy, they're not history. Those books were written to then to begin to explain what's to happen in the history of, of Israel's future. And what we begin to see is the things that happened back here begin to paint a picture of what's coming out over here. And there's literally like a dress rehearsal in Israel's history. So there, the, the prophetic books, there's some events in there, particular parts of the past that he's going to play, he's going to use and he's going to bring over. That's why the post and the pre and the post, and they, they, they balance. So when you come into Leviticus 26, you, begin, you get a picture, you get a look into what's happening here. Now, when you come into Leviticus, it's important to get the lay of the history because this is going to really help us in Hosea through Malachi in understanding what in the world he's talking about. Why is he saying this? What is he doing there? Okay. Now, Leviticus 26 will also compare with Deuteronomy 28 and 29. They're comparable. Leviticus 26, Moses is, this is 40 years before Deuteronomy 28 and 29. So Leviticus 26 is written... 40 years, so it's written right before they go into the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And in Leviticus 26, Moses is just telling them the information. Here's what's going to happen. In Deuteronomy 28 and 29, you see this information repeated, but rather it's repeated in, you guys just did all of this in that 40 years of wandering. Okay, you literally, so Leviticus, he lays it out for them. Here's what's in, here's the deal, the outline. But in Deuteronomy, the things that he's warning them about in Leviticus, they've happened. And it's like, you didn't learn the lesson. So we're going to look at Leviticus 26 because we're going to get over on that other side. In Leviticus 26, Moses is laying out the contract that God has made, Israel has agreed to, and God has made. Now, if you look at verse 3, we tend to not read the whole chapter. We're going to look at the whole chapter, and then, again, when we get to the top of the hour, we're done, we'll stop, we'll mark it, and we'll come right back where we left off, I hope. Okay? Leviticus 26, verse 3. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield 
their fruit, and your threshing shall reach unto the vintage. Verse 6, I will give peace in the land. Verse 7, you shall... Ye will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword, and five of you shall chase, and a hundred, and all the way down to verse 13. So it, all the blessings, if you, if you obey my statutes, hearken to my voice, then you're going to have peace and prosperity and power. Nothing's going to mess with you. No one's going to mess with you. Okay? Nobody's going to come around. Nobody's going to come up and do mess on you. But now look at verse 14. But if ye will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes or if ye shall abhor my judgments so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant. How do they break the covenant? They do not hearken unto the word, the commandments, the statutes. They, in open rebellion, disobey God's word. If that happens, this is what I'm going to do to you. Verse 16, I also will do this unto you. You think that's pretty clear? I think it is. So, what, so if you think about what, what, Mo, what God's doing here through Moses, is he's telling Israel you disobey, this is what's going to happen to you. So when it happens to you, you understand why it's happening. It isn't God testing them. It isn't God training them. It is the fact that they have broken the covenant. See, they, know, they understand clearly why. They're not sitting over here going, okay, what did you do? What'd you? They know. Remember when they were told they had the sin in the camp? Couldn't beat A, the little town of A. A, little town of A kicked them, beat them, because they had that Babylonian garment in there, you know. And as soon as they dawned on them what they were, what'd they do? They took care of it. But until then, what was the, if you got that, you ain't winning. <laughs> You're losing. So he says, I will. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do this. Here's what is going to happen. By the way, in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, you know what we learn? They broke the commandment, and uh, these things begin to happen. I will. See that? I will do this unto you. Oh, let's see. I will even, verse 16, I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and burning ague. A ague is, is like a fever. Um, Moses calls... That's not Moses. The Lord tells Abraham, I'm going to hit your seed with the botch of Egypt. <laughs> That's literally what we're, what we're pretty much reading here. That shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye will, shall flee when none pursueth you. You know what? There's, there's going to be trouble. But he starts in course with these, these courses, these cycles. Uh, Schofield's note calls it chastisements. We'll look at this in just a minute. But verse 18, And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So here's the second round. 
We got a first warning, verse 16. We got a second one, verse 18. Verse 21, if ye walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more. Now we've got a third round, a third course, third cycle, a third chastisement. Then in verse 23, and if ye will not be reformed by me, by these things, what will, but will walk contrary, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times more. Now we've got a fourth one. And then down in verse 27, and if ye will not walk for all this, I'm sorry, and if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary. And there we got uh, the fifth course. So there's five of them. And they don't go away, they just begin, they pile up, okay? The first one lays in, then the second one, and and you understand that by that word, more, more. It starts, more, start, more, more. And what's literally going to happen is in Genesis to Esther, we're going to see all of these courses hammered out. So that by the time we get to Esther and they're carried off into captivity and they're in the history, we're going to have courses one to five played out and on board and up and running. Okay? So, because again, from Esther to Matthew is just 400 years. And it's 400 years of silence, and we'll see that as we go here. Okay? Now, Just real quick, I call these five courses. Some call them, uh, well, they use chastisements. And you'll hear some say cycle. That's all good, okay? Those Those terms work. Because, but you have to understand from the context about those terms. If you look at verse 23, okay, 26, 23. And if ye will not be, see that, reformed by me, these layers of punishment are not layers of punishment to get even with them, to kill them, to wipe them off the map, to go take them and dump them in hell in the lake of fire. Rather, the five are designed to teach. The purpose is to chastise them. The purpose is to come in and to teach them, to reform them, to come in and, again, the purpose here is instructional. That's why I use the word course. What do we do in a course? We instruct. We start at A and we go to Z, a period of instruction. Um, Let's, uh, that word chastisement, let's, let's go define it by Scripture. Uh, uh, We're going to run now. Hebrews 12. And if we don't get past this, then that's okay. And we'll just pick right up here with the... And what we're going to do, I'm going to tell you right now, is we're going to look at all five courses of judgment as they pertain to the history channel. The history channel. (laughs) The history component, okay? And then as they are going to relate now to where we're headed. Because if you understand the gist of what's happened in Israel's history and where they are spiritually, which is in a bad place. They're in Baal worship. They're in apostasy. God has called them not my people. He's shutting shutting down 
okay? Not doing away with them. He's just, you want to be a Gentile? Go for it, okay? And then he's going to write to them, and when we write to them, there's where the communicate begins, all right? So that's where we're going. So, But let's talk about this, what's happening here about chastisement course. You'll hear people say cycle. And again, I wasn't going to do this, but it's important because sometimes, even in our everyday talk, we talk about you know, God chastening his people. And you got to be careful that you, you have defined that in your own mind well enough. How God chastens his people today is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He uses the scripture and he uses the, form, the, the formula of doctrine, reproof, correction, there it is, and instruction, see. He's not zapping. Now, he's going to zap in the Old Testament, but he's not doing that with you and I. So by now you've got Hebrews 12. Again, the key to understanding chastisement is defining it from Scripture, not a theology book. So the courses, these five, they're there to bring Israel back to where she started, okay? So if, if someone uses a cycle, the word cycle, five cycles of judgment, well, then cycle in what manner, see? Well, what do you do with the cycle? You bring it back to where you started. So what are they doing? They're going to bring it back to, they're going to, the, the, the goal of the, of, the, of the chastisement is to bring Israel back to obedience, to bring them back to, if you hearken and you come back, then things are good. If not, boom. So the cycle, it's to cycle Israel back to the beginning, back to obedience, not rebellion, but to where they're getting the blessing. But then a course is designed to teach them that is what they need to do. So the cycle, here's the ultimate purpose, get them back, cycle them back around into obedience. But the course is how to get there. Now, again, so each of these five are going, they're designed to teach Israel that they need to get back on point. Here's the purpose for which God created you, and you need to get back there, and you're not, and you're not, and you're not, and it's gonna, and it just gets worse, worse, and worse, and worse. By the way, the fifth course is where the Lord finds his people when he walks the earth. It's the longest and it's the, the most pro prolific. Hebrews 12, we're going to get Hebrews 12, Proverbs 3, and Job 5. Okay, so we'll do this uh, quickly so we can keep moving. Hebrews 12, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now think about this. He's, gonna, he's quoting Proverbs 3. We're going to go see that in just a minute. And this is exactly what Leviticus is talking about doing. He says, verse 5, I speak unto you as unto children. Do you know why there are stories in the Old Testament? 
Because stories is what you tell children to teach them. You don't give them doctrine. They don't understand it. They don't have, logically, they can't work through it. So when you come over to the epistles, Romans to Revelation, what do you get? It's adult time. It's doctrine. It's You sit with that doctrine. You logically think about it, and you, you work it through. But the children can't do that. Those little dudes over there on Sunday mornings, you got to tell them the stories. Why? Because that's what they need. That's how they learn. He says, look, guys, you're my nation in the earth. I'm going to educate you in what you need to know. And when you mess up, here's the consequences. But notice the term. He says, despise not thou the chastening. See that? Verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. The end of verse 5. When thou art rebuked of him. So you've got chastening and rebuked. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, there he is again. God dealeth with you as with sons. Verse 9, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of the spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Notice you've got chastening, and you've got rebuking, you've got chastisement, you got corrected. See, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's something that is designed to, to, bring, to get Israel and to move them back to where they need to be. Come back with me to Proverbs 3, and then we're going to get Job 5. So when you think about chastisement and chastening, Proverbs 3, in Scripture, Job chapter 5, then it's not a bad thing. I've been studying the judgment seat of Christ for Sunday morning, and everybody, oh, it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, it's actually a glorious thing. Proverbs 3, but you have to leave it where it sits in Scripture. Study it out for what it is in Scripture. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 11, here's the quote. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Hebrews 12 takes that word correction and change it to rebuke. So what is, what is it to be chastened? It's to be corrected. It's to be rebuked. Leviticus 26, it's to be reformed. Job 5, verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Again, it's defined for us. Chastening is correcting, rebuke, discipline, reform. It's all designed to produce proper behavior. Again, it's not go kick them, go destroy them, go throw them off in the lake of fire. And, you know, and again... 
I know the theology does that, but that's not in Scripture. Rather, now go back to Leviticus 26. Rather, what sits in Scripture is just the opposite of that. Leviticus 26. So when Israel here, when God tells Moses, Mo, you tell them what's coming. Here's what's happening to them. If they hearken, if they will not hearken unto me. By the way, hearken seven times he says that to them here in, in this passage. If you don't hearken, now we only have five, I will do this to you. So the hearkening is, you know, more than that. But it's you guys, you're Israel, they're going to chasten you. We're going to te- punish you. We're going to teach you. We're going to correct you. We're going to get you on the proper path. So if you want to use chastisement, five chastisements, that's fine. If you want to say the five cycles of judgment, that's fine. The five courses of judgment is what I usually say out of habit. That's fine. As long as you're meaning and you're thinking about it not being a destructive thing, but rather a, a, a parent with a child who's disobeying, getting them on the right path. Okay? Now, Leviticus 26. We got 10 minutes, so we're going to do just one, and then we'll pick up next time and go on. And the reason I'm sticking to that hour is this is going to be a lot of information here in the beginning, and you're going to walk out of here like zombies, and and I don't really want that to happen to you, okay? Because when we get into Hosea, by the way, we won't be able to get every nook and cranny, or we would never get out of Hosea 1. It just so we'll get the verses, we'll get the idea. You can go back and dig out the rest of it. Uh, I, I, I hope it won't be an overview. We're not going to fly in the seat. We're going to get down in the weeds, but we just won't be able to see every little thing. Leviticus twenty-six verse sixteen. Ver, well, just start reading in verse fourteen. Let's just look at these chastisements here, so that we understand what's happening and where we're at when we are uh, moving here uh, through. These are very easy to see in Israel's history because when you see one end, you see one start. When you see the first one start here in Judges, bam, and off you go. You see the second one, and they're easy to identify because it's clear. There's no ambiguity here. There's no, well, what did he mean by the beast killing the kids? What does that mean? No, there's no. No, the beasts are going to kill the kids. Actually, under Elisha, there's 42 of them coming. And, and are, there are two beasts, and they come and kill 42 kids. And it's clear. It's, the numerology stuff is very interesting and all that, too. And I'll refrain from boring you with, with that information. Verse 14. But if ye will not hearken unto me... And will not do, again, all, not some of it, not whatever we feel like doing today, but all these commandments. And if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant. That's what they're doing. I also will do this unto you. And verse 16 and 17, that's the first one. So let's think about where we're at. We're in Genesis to Deuteronomy. What book is after Deuteronomy? Come on. 
Joshua. All right? You remember what happens with Joshua? Moses dies. The, new, the next generation is on. Joshua picks up the mantle, and they go into the land. They dry up the Jordan River. They cross where they're supposed to. The ark is there. They're, this great picture of here is Israel coming into the land. Okay? Now, when they get in the land, it doesn't go so well for them. All right? So then the first course comes on them. Verse 16, I will also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you tear, consumption, the burning ague that shall consume the eye and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it, and I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth. That, Joshua, we got the opportunity. What's after Joshua? Judges. So come over to Judges chapter number 1. Judges chapter number 1. So now we have, we have the opportunity. We had Moses. Oh, Mo is good to go. Joshua, we dropped the ball. So now first course comes. By the way, each of the five courses have a chief prophet, except for four and five. They have the writing prophets. We'll look at that. But each one's going to have a major prophet. So you have the judges. Look at Judges 1.1. Now, after the death of Joshua, so who just died? Joshua. It came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And you know what happens? They ends up being no leader, no leader stepping up. Joshua takes Moses' mantle. There's no one to take Joshua's mantle. So guess what begins to happen? Trouble begins to happen. And actually, in Joshua, I'm sorry, in Judges, if you need chapter 2, but run to chapter 21. Judges 21, 25. Judges 21, 25. And I picked this because this is the easiest one. It, this is throughout the book of Judges. You see this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's why there's no leader. That's why after in, in Judges, after Ruth and beginning of Samuel, you know what they say? The elders get together and they say, Samuel, get us a king because we need somebody to come and stand up against these Gentiles that are kicking us around right now. Because under the first one, what was going to happen? Their enemies are going to come in, rob from them, steal from them, defeat them, and, and run them. Now, they're in the land here. They're, and again, you have to remember, Joshua takes them into the land. They are in the land. And God says, you don't obey me, you don't listen to me, then this is what's going to happen. The Gentiles are going to come from without, and they're going to begin to beat you up in your own land. And guess what? I'm going to let them because you're not hearkening. Now come to chapter 2 of Judges. Judges 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, 
and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? That's clearly Leviticus 26 said, what 15, you will not hearken to my voice. And when you do that, I'm going to do this. Okay, so he's clearly quoting, acknowledging 26.15. So here comes the first course of judgment, verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, you know, the son of Nun, that's the, who are the two men in the Bible that had no parents? Adam, because he was never born. And then Joshua, the son of Nun. And that, you know, it's always like the, the, uh, Who's the smallest man? Uh, um, I just had his name. Who's uh, the shoe height? Uh, but then they say, oh, no, it's the Philippian jailer because he slept on his watch. <laughs> you know, so you got all that, right? Okay, verse 8. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in the borders of his inheritance. Uh, verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there rose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, that, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth, the female deity there. What did they do? They broke the covenant. They, they're going against what God had told them. Now watch verse 14, 214. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. That is exactly what Leviticus 26, 16, and 17 said he was going to do. So in Judges chapter 2, verse 14 and following, course number one is on board, and he's nailing them. Verse 15, whither so they went out, I'm sorry, whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Now, notice that very carefully. The Lord, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them. That is a reference to Leviticus 26, 14 to 17 at this point. They, when it comes to judges in the life of Israel, here's first round, first cycle of judgment, first course of judgment. In the history of Israel, here they are. You're able to mark it. You're able to say that's where it started in the book of Judges, and it's on. Okay, so, in, so when you think about this, how did God speak to Israel at this time? He gave them prophets. Here we've got judges. Do you know how many judges we have in the book of Judges? You remember? 
13 of them, by the way, okay? 12 good and one bad and 13 number, okay? But you think about this. Look at verse 18, verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. So he raises judges up. He speaks to them by a prophet. So the major prophet in the first course is Samuel. If you look over, oh, first Samuel, have to find it here. Well, Samuel is, was a judge as well, but he's the prophet. And we'll, we'll look at that next time. Go back to Judges 2, okay? Because I want you to catch what's happening. He's telling them what's happening is what Moses told them was going to happen. You break the covenant, here's what I'm going to do. Now, look at verse, well, we read verse 16. Look at verse 17. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Now watch the cycle. When the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted their ways, I'm sorry, corrupted themselves more than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, and they cease not from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways. So the cycle, the first cycle, didn't work. It just, as they go through this cycle, it's just going to get what? Worse and worse. So what is the picture of, of the spiritual condition in Israel? It's getting what? Worse and worse. It's not getting better. Now you see the cycle. So Here's, in, in, in Judges, <laughs> the enemy comes, oppresses them, steals from them, robs, all that stuff, and they start crying to the Lord, help us, help us, help us. He sends a judge, they're delivered, everything's good to go, but under the judge, things get a little testy, and then when the judge dies, he said, well, we don't need him, and off they go, right? They repeat this cycle through every judge. They just don't get it. So in the first cycle, he said, look, I don't want to see, the Lord says, I don't want to see you fail. I want to see you su succeed. All will be good if you just do it, but guess what? You ain't doing it. You failed. So Leviticus 26, 18, and second course. Whoops. Failed. Now we're in the second course. That's going to start in 1 Kings 12. We'll pick up with that next time, okay? So the issue here, so what's going to happen is, is as we go across here, if we go back to Leviticus 26, and I can find my cheat note, because I do have a cheat note. 
So as, as we go across, so we got 1 Kings 12, see? And then the third is going to be 2 Kings. This is going to be the third one. It's going to be 2 Kings 2. By the way, the prophet here is Samuel. The prophet here is Elijah. Can you guess what this one is? Elisha. Then we have the writing prophets in 4 and 5. And the writing prophets start in 4 and they go into the beginning of 5. So there's a whole mess, a whole, you know, trans... And by the way, this starts in 2 Kings 10, and off, and then uh, the fifth one is 2 Chronicles. Okay, so you've got them off going. They're off in the captivity. My point is, is when where we're going to be in the minor is over here. And there's a, so when they begin to pick up specific things and look at them, it's because of the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel is so, is, is just, they're in total captivity. When the, when in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are in fifth course, Acts, fifth course. This gets interrupted by the, by the body. Hebrews through Revelation, fifth course is where they're at. Okay? So when somebody yells at you, 1948, just body of Christ, Gentile dominion, boom, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, by the way, in the judges, we have, you guys, what, do you remember the big judges? We have Gideon. Then we have Samson, right? Those are the big guys. But then when you come into here, we're going to have David. We have David. We have a missing one. We have Solomon. And there's one I'm missing one. Doggone it. Oh. Just give me a second. There's one, Samuel. No, that's Samson. David, Samson, Boaz. That's who it is. That's who I'm missing. Boaz. David goes down here. Boaz, because we got the book of Ruth in here. We'll, do, we'll look at all this next time a little closer. Boaz, Ruth, kinsman, Redeemer. Gideon is the mighty deliverer. Samson was the mighty avenger, brought the house down. David, before Samson, um, um, before Solomon, is king. Solomon is the blesser. The five mandates of the Davidic covenant, or for the, in order for the Davidic covenant to be fulfilled, these five mandates have to be met. Psalms has five books that match that. And guess where all of this sits? Right back here between Course 1 and Course 2. Because in Course 2, if you look at Leviticus 26, 18, he's going to break their pr the pride of their power. 
and the pride of their power is their kingdom. And that governmental rule of, under David and Solomon that rises up, and he rends it, and then that breaking is 10 to the north and 2 to the south, and they're never, politically they lost all their control. Now, we'll get into all of that next time because I've told you it wouldn't go over an hour, and it's been over an hour. Okay? So we'll catch all that next time. But where we're, the reason I'm doing this is because when we get to here, you've got to have all this in the back of your mind. As we look, and I'll remind you, okay, as you think about Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah, and you think about Jonah going to, my, uh, to Nineveh, what is all that about? It's looking right back over here into these, but it's helping Israel understand future scenarios that they're going to go through, okay? All right, I better be quiet before I keep going for another half hour, okay? All right, this stuff's exciting because you and I aren't in it. And when you don't study trying to put you in it, then you can enjoy it. You can see what God's doing, how he's thinking, how he's working. You can say, wow, look at that. That's pretty cool. And if he can do that for his people, then, man, when he promises me, he's surely going to do it. And there's no question, there's no doubts, and off you go. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for your book, that we're able to get into it. We're able to, to meet you on these pages and see how you think about things, how you value your word, how you value everything that your purpose and your plan and, Lord, I just pray that we can take that to our heart and then we can then uh, just glorify you in our understanding. In your name we pray. Amen.